If you're still deciding on your spring break getaway, Amtrak's got just the ticket. You can visit cities from D.C. and Philly to New York and Boston, all while enjoying more sustainable travel. Amtrak produces up to 83% less carbon emissions than traveling by car or plane. And did we mention the extra legroom and comfy seats? Book early and save at Amtrak.com. Click or tap the banner. Emissions comparisons vary depending on route and locomotive type. Restrictions may apply. The comics industry, it's a long-term game. And you kind of have to bat your way through the miners and the indies um, before you can start thinking about going up for the bigger teams. I think this is my first time at a bigger team. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for stopping by DTR Comics yet again. I, as always, Dallas Taylor. And today I am joined again by David Pepos. Hi. Thanks so much for having me. Excited to catch up. Excited to be back uh, on the show. And uh, yeah, I'm really excited to get to chat with you about uh, about my new book. Yeah. Uh, so last time you were on the show, you were in the midst of the OZ and getting that yeah. all, uh, funded. And it was going really well. And it, it ended. Spoiler alert. It ended very well, everyone. But <laughs> yeah, how how's that process been for you? How things Good. wrapped up with issue and the uh, OZ? Yeah, you know, it's it's been it's been a, a fun process. Actually, um the printers are scheduled to be shipping the books my way, uh, I believe today or tomorrow. Um so uh so yes, those will be shipping from Florida uh here to my apartment in Los Angeles, and then the fun stuff of packing starts. Uh but yeah, I'm really excited. Uh, you know, that the the response to that book has been overwhelming. Uh, we'll be getting people digital copies soon. Uh, we, we we're trying to stagger it out so people are getting there, there. There's not too much delay between the the digital copies and the print copies. But uh, yes, very soon we'll we'll have all that for everybody. Um, the PDFs look great. Uh, Ruben uh, Rojas and colorist Whitney Kogar and uh, letterer DC Hopkins are hard at work on the next installment, uh, which I wrote a while back. Um, so yeah, it's uh, you know things are are, are going well. Um, I uh, am excited to get thirty six boxes of books in my two bedroom apartment, um, <laughs> uh, which was already taken over by Gemini mailer boxes. So yeah, um, I'm I'm very excited. I'm kind of chomping at the bit uh, to to get that going, and um, yeah, it's it's uh, it's sort of once all those books are out of my apartment, then I can really kind of relax and breathe. Um, but yeah, uh, you know, this is going to, you know, having read and reread and reread this first issue, uh, I'm incredibly proud of the work we've put out. I think this is some of the best work I've ever done and uh, I can't wait for readers to get to check it out. I love that. So looking back at the whole process, kind yeah. of, I mean, still being a little bit in the middle of it, but looking back, sure. do you feel like Kickstarter is an avenue that you want to go through again for future Absolutely. projects? Absolutely. Uh, no question. Um, the Kickstarter community really embraced us in a big way. And I couldn't be more grateful. I, I feel like uh, I love the direct market and, and we'll, we'll be talking about the direct market in, uh, in a little bit. But um, I feel like the Kickstarter community is the great equalizer, creatively speaking. Um, mm -hmm. uh, you know, if my career has had any one trajectory, it's been books that look like a sure thing in the rear view. But when it comes to actually pitching them, it has always been an uphill battle. And I think having a, a, a place like Kickstarter to say, no, there's a market, there's an audience for these books. 
And if you want to be short-sighted and not pick it up, that's at your peril. Mm-hmm. And I, uh, so I, I couldn't be more grateful for the Kickstarter community. Uh, you know, I, I'm excited to see the rest of the OZ through on Kickstarter. I've made mm-hmm. that very, very clear um, uh, to a lot of interested parties. And uh, and I'm excited for more books down the pike after the OZ is completed. Um, I, I have a few ideas of a few more things that uh, I'm excited to kind of put out. Uh, I'm still kind of figuring out the best way to stagger all these projects because mm-hmm. uh, I want to make sure that people feel like they're getting their money's worth on one story before we jump towards another one. But um, there's there's a number of projects that I, I think would be a really fun fit for the Kickstarter community. And I can't wait uh, to, to keep showing people uh, what we've got in store. I like that. So the book we're kind of talking about today is not yeah. going through Kickstarter. So yeah. how do you how do you parse which projects go Kickstarter and which product? Yeah, well, direct market. So you know it's 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 funny. You, I, you you may be giving me too much credit, and and sometimes certain projects, you know, they you don't pick them; they pick you. And mm-hmm. Scouts Honor, my new book at Aftershock, was it is it, it's so unlike the development process of any book that I've ever done, um, in that. This was just as much the book picking me as I picked the book. Uh, for those who don't know what Scouts Honor is about, it's, uh, it's about, uh, you know, decades after a nuclear war, a cult rises from the ashes, and their Bible is an old Boy Scout manual. And our story follows Kit, um, who is really kind of the embodiment of all these uh, Ranger Scout traditions, except for one secret. Um, this is a, a cult that is really kind of driven by masculinity. And so she has to conceal her identity as a woman in order mm-hmm. to serve. Uh, the thing is, is that Kit's a true believer, but she's going to discover a really dark secret at the heart of the Ranger Stout, Scout tradition. And it's going to really make her question everything she's ever known. And so she's going to have to risk, uh, you know, losing her own religion on a quest to find the truth. Hmm. And so I, I, I consider it, it's kind of like Fallout meets Mulan with a little bit of Handmaid's Tale and a little bit of Hunger Games thrown into the mix. And I like that. Uh, what's been such a fun process for me is Scouts Honor in a lot of ways feels like me leveling up in, in, in the industry. Um, you know, all of my books previously, I've been the one running everything. Um, it's been sort of an idea that I'm too spiteful to let go. And so I find, you know, I, I'm handpicking the teams. I'm sort of, I'm the puppet master kind of, you know, uh, uh, coordinating all, all, you know, all and herding all the different cats that go into making a comic. Aftershock, it's, it's a different type of organization. Um, you know, they're a bigger publisher. This is the first time that I've ever worked with editors who are the ones sort of matchmaking the, 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 the book and, and, you know, being sort of the final say in terms of what things go. And so the way that Scouts Honor came to be at, at Aftershock, um, and this is sort of peeking a little bit behind the curtain of how the comics industry works, is there are certain publishers that they want you to have a full creative team. They want you to have, uh, you know, a full issue done or a, a significant portion of an issue done. Um, they, uh, they want you to have a full outline together and then they sort of say thumbs up, thumbs down, um, action lab, for example, my, uh, the publisher that I've done my previous work with, that's been more like them where they just, once they accept the book, 
it's up to you to get the book done. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, they will publish it and they will put it in stores, but it's really like they, they don't have the bandwidth to, to sort of keep their fingers in the pie. Um, there are other publishers mm-hmm. though. once you sort of step up to the next level where they have editors, they have, they have a, a stronger idea of what they want and they want to be able to help develop the story alongside you. And so uh, what happened to me was I, I've known a lot of people at Aftershock for a long time. Uh, people like my editor, Mike Martz, uh, I've known since I was in college. I, I, I interned for him at DC Comics uh, back when he was the <laughs> Batman editor. Uh, Steve Rotterdam, I remember, you know, I knew him also from my time at DC. Uh, Lee Kramer, uh, uh, the president of uh, Aftershock, um, you know, I've had lunch with him uh, here in Los Angeles. And so uh, I think that was a big confluence of how this project came to be was I'd known all of them for a while. All of them had been kind of itching to do a project with me. And finally, uh, Lee said, okay, give me like a handful of ideas. What is what is something that you might be interested in fleshing out? And so I sent him, <laughs> that was Lee's mistake, is he did not give me a specific number. <laughs> so I sent him probably like 10 ideas. And mm-hmm. Scout's Honor is, uh, will always make me laugh because that was kind of the one that kind of got, that squeaked in at the last second. Um, that was sort of the idea that I had just come up with this idea of history isn't just written by the victors, it's written by the survivors. And, you know, what happens if we had a new dark ages and our, our, our game of telephone that we call history suddenly gets disrupted in a big way. And, uh, what's what's very funny is all these ideas that i had like a laundry list of like this is what i want to do this is what i want to do they're like that's fine that's what the scouts honor looks pretty cool and so (laughs) uh i had a similar feeling that i did when uh my first book spencer and lockup picked up which was oh crap okay i guess i gotta write this and it wound up becoming a very different animal um than it, it, this book has evolved many times um, over the development process. Um, the final product of what we put out was very different than that initial kernel of an idea. Um, but I think it's become, it's certainly the most spiritual work that I've ever put out. And I think as somebody who, you know, I, I'm Jewish, I was raised in a Jewish uh, family. Um, but I think my spiritual journey is very different than that of my parents, which I think was very different than that of their parents. Um, I think that, is certainly baked into this concept a bit. Mm-hmm. I think also, um, you know, I grew up. I grew up in Missouri, you know, a, a pretty conservative part of the country, and I, I, I think this speaks a lot to my own sort of political awakening once I left home. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it's sort of you grow up one way and you see the world in a certain way, and then it doesn't take much for the rug to kind of get pulled out from underneath you. And you suddenly start saying like, Oh, all these things that I took for granted is true. The world might not reflect that in reality. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that became a really fun concept to explore. Uh, this book is a-, a lot about the corrosive power of secrets, but it's also about how the truth can be just as painful. Um, mm-hmm. You know, uh, uh, without spoiling too much, um, Kit is going to realize that, oh, all these all these values that she's really internalized and has seen as positives and on paper can be positives. Um, you know, they are sort of entwined with a very messed up human element. 
Um, it's it's not unlike that of uh, you know the disillusionment that a lot of Catholics felt with the the Catholic uh, uh, priest scandals, where it was sort of people mm-hmm. saying this is a tradition that I grew up in and I felt so positive about, but how can I continue to be a part of this institution when all these horrifying secrets have come to light? Mm-hmm. And so it will really you know she'll be kind of losing her religion a bit and she's going to have to figure out what values are still important to her as she kind of digs in deeper to find out what the, what the truth is. Um, but, you know, she's not the only one with secrets um, and there's going to be a lot of different characters that have secrets of their own that come to light and that is going to put them through the ringer a little bit. And, um, you know, it's going to put Kit on a collision course with a lot of people that she has come to love and trust and respect over the years, because now she's kind of realizing maybe they're on the wrong side of history. All right, sold. Fine. I'll <laughs> pick up the first issue. Uh, <laughs> Thank I mean, you. I was going to, but that sounds really, really cool. I, I mean, I spent, I lived in Missouri for a couple of years as well. I grew up in Utah, also mm-hmm. a very conservative state. Yeah. So like what you're saying is very much speaking to me of like you start to see the world a little bit more post childhood and you really have to reevaluate a lot of these ideals that are baked into you in these more conservative cultures. So that's really interesting. Um, What's been really fun for me also is kind of exploring the cult angle a little bit mm -hmm. because when you're raised in this, um, you know, you you don't realize like, oh, like maybe we're a little militant, you know, and sort of seeing, you know, this was very much influenced by um, my younger brothers were both Boy Scouts and I was not. Mm-hmm. And so uh, watching this for, from the outside, looking in when you're inside, you know, it's it's very positive and, and you see it as like, oh, this is I, I learned these uh, survival skills and I learned to be self-sufficient. And you get this camaraderie and then you're on the outside and you're like, there's all this pageantry and the costumes and the bylaws and, and it, it looks a little religious and sort mm-hmm. of, you know, what would what would turn what, you know, uh, then you have a post-apocalyptic element and suddenly all these survival skills become very, very important. And it's sort of like, you know, it sort of becomes this feedback loop where you're like, okay, the survival skills are positive for us. Let's double down on it. And when you've sort of lost all other history, it's suddenly, you know, one of my favorite elements of this book, and we, we, we get into it a little bit in the second issue. And, um, and then really as, as the book con- concludes, um, we, the, the, the scouts signature weapons uh, are switchblades. And while we see, you know, we think of the little Swiss army knives, you know, these guys are so, you know, it's, it's been the, the arc of history has been so long for them that they, they think, oh, well, they're, they're these giant swords that everybody had and they each had their <laughs> own individual blades. And so some people had like, you know, big can opener blades to pry open armor and some had shears to tear through flesh. And, oh, this guy's got even like a flamethrower component to it. And to them, it's like this big rite of passage. It's sort of, you know, it's it's your coming of age. You are finally considered a man once you're given your first switchblade. And, um, you know, or things like the merit badges where, you know, that's the mark of your training is you're able to know which members of your squad know which skills just by one glance. 
And and so, yeah, you've got the things like archery and you've got wilderness survival, but then you've also got explosives and tactical driving because those are the types of skills that you would need to survive the Badlands. And um, that was, you know, it it reminds me a lot of my uh, book, Going to the Chapel, which Mm -hmm. was really fun because there was all this wedding imagery you could play with. And that was the same thing for Scouts Honor is that uh, the Boy Scouts uh, of America, for better or for worse, there is so much imagery that you can play with. And um, yeah, I, I feel like we were able to get a lot in there. Um, th- so we're able to sort of have this post-apocalyptic coming-of-age story. But for anybody who's ever been a Boy Scout, there's going to be plenty of sort of winks and nods that you're going to say, oh, I could totally see how you could build a post-apocalyptic society off of this as, and, and one that might thrive for that matter. That's really interesting. So what went into your research process to flesh out this Boy Scout world? Were you just playing off of like your memories of your younger brothers or like what yeah. avenues did you follow to build I, this? You know, it's funny. Um, yeah, there was a lot of research that went into it, a lot of reading about the history of it all. Uh, you know, and what's funny is, yeah, talking to for somebody who did not serve as a boy scout, I'm shocked at how many of my friends growing up did. And what's so interesting to me is it, it, it reminded me very much of the split in religion where there are some people who I grew up with who, you know, grew up very religious and they are still religious. And then there are some people who were completely turned off by their religious upbringing and they, they don't want anything to do with it anymore. And same thing with the boy scouts. I have friends who, were Eagle Scouts, who are proud Eagle Scouts, who still say it on their resumes. Um, And, you know, they're planning on, you know, when their kids get old enough, they're going to make, you know, have them join the Boy Scouts. Uh, Meanwhile, I have friends who were Boy Scouts who were like, that was the most ostracizing period of my life. And I, 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 you know, I, I hate even thinking about it. And yeah, so it was really kind of, you know, but it was interesting doing the research. And there, there were for me, the big challenge was figuring out like, okay, what pieces can I keep that will fit together in a cohesive storyline? And what is stuff that kind of has to get left on the, on the cutting room floor? Um, that's something I've dealt with a lot with Spencer and Locke is the same thing is I have like a laundry list of notes about Calvin and Hobbes. And I'm like, well, that won't fit here. Maybe it'll fit in another volume. Um, but yeah, like, you know, the idea of, you know, the, 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 fact you know, the Boy Scouts and sort of his idea of like, okay, how can we, you know, teach our young men, you know, sort of basic, you know, practical skills and how mm-hmm. that made the, the the trip from the UK to the, to, to the United States and how I think it really feeds into in a big way kind of this toxic masculinity problem that we have i i mean i think it's worldwide but i think specifically the u.s has a major problem with it and um you know things like the eagle scouts um you know we uh we we touch upon that in a big way um uh as the series goes on uh yeah it's just you know but even just thinking like okay like what are what are practical skills that the boy scouts learn today like I read through a whole Boy Scout manual just to be like, all right, you know, they have a certain uh, they have certain uh, scout laws. And how could that get twisted by a cult saying, you know, uh, uh, you should obey your scoutmaster without question? That is an actual Boy Scout law. 
what does that look like when you're in a cult <laughs> and your and your your seven commandments the fourth one is you shall obey your scoutmaster without question um so it was it was definitely uh yeah there's a real like richness to the boy scout mythology that i think uh it it worked it worked out really nicely for this story um i certainly for me the challenge was less about how can i find enough stuff to support this thesis of my story and if anything it was oh boy how can i like what can what can i cut um because it's there's so much to it and i will say the thing that the one opportunity that kills me that i didn't get a chance to include and maybe i've included the spirit of it if not sort of mentioning it in the text is um there's a story of the unknown scout and it was the very first when the when the founder of the boy scouts was was uh wandering i believe it was london um and he didn't know where to go and a young boy gave him directions and he was like uh can i like can i pay you for this and he's like no no just doing my good turn for the day hmm. and that was kind of the genesis of and maybe in a way kit kind of represents that ethos a little bit is that you know it can be very easy to kind of get wrapped up in the pageantry of it all and you know what can turn into this very competitive uh you know power struggle and kit is sort of kit's a true believer but it's sort of an old school true believer where she she believes in the values of the ranger scouts she believes that they can be a force for good and that's what makes it so painful for her is when she's going to find out that not everybody is as much of an idealist as she is and you know that's something that she's really going to have to navigate over the course of the series that's really interesting um what i thought of while you were talking about like the mythology of the boy yeah. scouts how do you feel like the process with building off of that with scouts honor has mm -hmm. been different from your projects like Spencer and Locke or the OZ sure. where you took another existing property yeah. and fleshed it out. Well, you know, it, this, this was a very different book in a lot of different ways. And, you know, um, a lot of that comes from basically, you know, developing it with a publisher instead of having pre-developed it and bringing it to a publisher. And so it's, it's very, it's a very different way of doing things. Um, you know, this is the first time I've ever had to submit scripts for approval for example. Um, and, you know, uh, uh, Mike Martz and, and my editor, Christina Harrington, have been terrific in that regard. Um, they really did a lot of the, the heavy lifting as far as matchmaking the project, as far as actually assembling the creative team. Um, they've been really good at sort of uh, giving me suggestions and ways to kind of punch up the scripts. Um, and, you know, also in terms of troubleshooting scripts, there have been times where you know, the, the, the timeline on this series has been accelerated beyond anything I've ever done before. Um, you know, this book, we, we got our artist, uh, Luca Casalinguida on board right when everything started shutting down for the pandemic. So the fact that it's November and we are sort of turning the corner as far as art on the final issue um, and the fact that the book is coming out, the first issue is coming out January 6th, that's faster than even Spencer and Locke, which was a pretty rapid um, uh, development time. Um, 
it's definitely been it's been different you know um it's first it's just in terms of speed you know um you thankfully when i have a deadline i i tend to move fast um it's sort of you know you think of the the calvin and Hobbes quote where it's you know waiting for sheer last minute panic um for (laughs) me it was sort of the moment i signed the contract i said okay um I want to get this done. I want to get this done now. And I want to get this done right. This was my pandemic book um, or one of my pandemic books. I should say I, I had written the outline in the first issue. I think we got the green light for the book around Christmas of last year, but we didn't actually get a contract signed and, and weren't off to the races until shortly before everything shut down with the pandemic. So um, I wrote 80% of this series on, under lockdown. And I think that really kind of spoke to the flavor of this book a little bit. Um, but yeah, it's definitely, you know, it's it's a learning curve for sure. Sort of thinking like, okay, I'm not the central editorial conduit anymore, uh, for example. And so, uh, you know, my previous books, it's just shooting an email off to, you know, to my team and saying, okay, we got to fix this, 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 and this. Whereas I'm not... I'm not the arbiter of whether it's good to go or not. Uh, you know, my editors are really that hmm. central conduit now. And so, um, you know, it's figuring out, you know, what battles do you want to pick? Um, saying, okay, like, is this something that really needs fixing? Which is something that I always struggle with as a creator. Um, and and as, as uh, you know, a de facto editor in my previous books. Um, you know, also sort of the, the we talk about the game of telephone, um, you know, English is not Luca's first language. And so mm-hmm. what we've done is if I have any notes, they go to our editorial team. They kind of will sort out like, does this really seem worth it to us? Then they will pass it to Luca's agent who will then translate it to Luca. And so <laughs> that's, yeah, that alone is just like, oh, okay. Like you got to be really precise and figure out like, you know, is this really important or are you just being precious? Um, I think also kind of just figuring out like, okay, you know, how do you write for an editor's consideration in mind? Um, because, you know, they have, they have certain directives that they want to hit uh, both as editors and as representatives of my publisher and making sure that sort of the things that I'm writing that we can align in that regard. Um, you know, Aftershock has been really supportive in that, like if I have an idea you know, and I throw it out there, they're usually pretty receptive to it. Um, you know, uh, for example, I just wrote the back matter for our first issue yesterday. Um, and uh, I don't know if I'm clear to talk about it yet, so I won't, I won't go too deep into it, but, um, you know, I just said, Hey, I'm going to write journals from the scout master's perspective. Uh, and it's going to do a lot of world building and it's going to flesh out this, uh, this marketing initiative that they, that, that Aftershock has come up with for the book. And they've seemed really receptive to that. Um, they both, you know, they, everybody was saying, uh, this morning, they're like, oh, that, that looked really cool. And I'm like, thanks. I spent all day writing it. Um, <laughs> you know, so it's definitely been a learning curve. I think, you know, it has just as much in common with work for hire as it does create around. In the sense that, yeah, I'm working with editors. You know, the editors are actually financing. Or, well, I shouldn't say that is the publisher is financing the book, which is 
very different than anything I've dealt with in the past. I'm I every book I've done previously I've paid for out of pocket. I financed myself. Um so it's nice not going into debt. Um and it's also cool having like a full team kind of supporting the work. Um I've never worked with a publicity team before. I've always mm-hmm. just done my own publicity. Uh I've never worked with the marketing team. Um you know, uh, you know, I we had some sort of Skype call or a Zoom call um, a month or so back, uh, talk you know before the book launched, and it was like eighteen people on that call, hmm. and I was just like, oh, the publishers that I've worked with in the past don't have eighteen people in general. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, it's been you know, I think it's been a fun way to kind of step up my game. And figure out, you know, it's been a good way for me to re-examine, like, how do I write my scripts? Is there a way for me to do it more efficiently, uh, you know, to be smaller on my panel counts? Is there a way to be more specific in terms of my direction? Um, because, in the, you know, I know that if I'm a 20-year man or a 30-year man, like I want to be in this business, I will not, I'm not going to be able to always kind of be looking over everybody's shoulder uh, i'm going to have to delegate things and i'm gonna have to let editors do their jobs and i'm gonna have to trust that my editors have been doing this long enough that they know how to troubleshoot things and um so i think this has been a really important first step in sort of developing that skill set for me moving forward down the line I, what are the ways you feel like you've grown the most within this process? Um, yeah, I mean, you know, I think a lot of it, it's all about communication. I think that's really kind of the, 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 the crux of it. And it's a skill, you know, when you do comics, you think like, oh, well, I, you know, I can write what I consider to be the best script and I can sort of oversee a team and to make sure that it's executed, you know, Uh, as well as it possibly can be and at the same time i feel like my process in the past has been uh we'll say energy intensive (laughs) um you know and and some of that is because i i'm working with artists who are coming up you know with just as much experience as as me if if not less and so you know there's a certain degree of troubleshooting that that has to happen but i feel like being able to communicate up front and sort of anticipate like hey this is an image i have in mind reference art is something that i think is really important that i'm still kind of working on is saying like hey this is an idea i had for the panel what do you think at the same time, though, you know, I feel like Aftershock's been really good to me in the fact that, like, you know, I'm brought in, you know, every step of the way. Like, I'm getting the same thumbnails that my editors are. And so I have an opportunity to say, hey, like, what do you think about this, for example? Um, you know, or uh, or the colors coming in or the letters coming in. And um, so I think I've learned had a better kind of you know measure twice cut once Mm -hmm. uh, which is something that i think all of my collaborators will be thankful for uh (laughs) and uh and yeah and just you know being able i think the other thing is is it's a good reminder for me that i'm not going to choke under pressure um i feel like you know especially you know i've known uh mike for a long time and uh mike was really instrumental in a big way 
for me figuring out what my career trajectory was going to be. I'm probably getting too honest here, but, uh, you know, it's, it's when I, I interned at DC in the summer of 08, which, you know, I don't know if, if people remember what happened in the summer of 08, it was just a cataclysmic recession. Um, mm-hmm. and I, I remember being really kind of heartbroken at the time that there were no jobs available. And Mike sat me down and he said, you know, nobody walks onto the Yankees. And by that, what he said was, you know, the comics industry, it's a long-term game. And you kind of have to bat your way through the minors and the indies um, before you can start thinking about going up for the bigger teams. I think this is my first time at a bigger team. And, you know, it, 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 I, I laugh that I, you know, I'm, I'm a 10 year overnight success. It took me, <laughs> uh, it took me 12 years to get here. And um, I owe a lot of that perseverance to Mike, because I think if Mike had not been so generous with his advice, it would have been very easy to kind of throw up my hands and give up. And, you know, so, I, you know, working with him is sort of, oh, I don't want to let Mike down. And that can that can either cause a lot of anxiety where you sort of fold up on yourself and you just can't execute or it's sort of the rocket fuel you need to say, okay, well, letting Mike down is not an option. Mm -hmm. So what are we going to do to lock and load and get this book out? And so um, that has been, I think, a really validating experience for me. I mean, I'm sure I'm not the only comics creator who struggled with imposter syndrome. And so the idea that, no, no, like like when the chips are down, when you have a deadline, when you have people depending on you, you will get that book out. Um, that is a valuable lesson to take to heart. And it's something that I, I can always look back on for any future books I do down the line saying, I know that I can hack it. And um, that's a very important thing um, and, and valuable thing for me as, as an, an, indie, an indie creator. I like that a lot. So let's, let's play the hypothetical game here for a second. Sure. Let's say you get onto the Yankees, right? What yeah. are some of your, your dream projects down boy. the way? Um, boy, there's a lot. I mean, um, I've talked about Captain Planet being my white whale. Um, and, I, you know, it's, it's one of those things I don't really know who owns the rights to it you know i think dc might own the rights to it which means it's not going anywhere but if like a place like boom or idw was able to kind of like cut a deal i would i would fight a person to do a series on that i think i i think you could do a really cool like globe trotting like first avengers movie meets avatar the last airbender but with like a, a globe trotting environmentalist spin shazam Billy Batson. Um, I could write 70 issues of Billy Batson and not get tired. Um, yeah, that seems like a good fit. He's, you know, for, for the guy who like ruined Calvin and Hobbes, I, I feel like uh, I could really, I, I would love to handle somebody with an idealistic streak like Billy, um, mm-hmm. you know, um, or on the other side of the coin, Dr. Strange. Um, I feel like Billy, Billy is pure potential. Stephen Strange is, that guy looking back at all the mistakes he's made. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I feel like he would be a really fun character to work on. Yeah, I mean, you know, I'd love to do a team book eventually. Um, I sort of, you know, if, if you gave me the keys to Justice League or the Avengers, I would be 
I would be overwhelmed. But I've been thinking about that since I was like 13 years old. But yeah, I mean, you know, the the fun thing is like the majors are always, this has been sort of the, the, the Zen that I've gotten. And I think working in create around has really made me feel this way is that the majors will always be waiting. Mm-hmm. I like being able to kind of do my own world building and kind of call my own shots a little more. Mm-hmm. It's not to say, you know, I've spoken with people at Marvel and DC and the message has always been, if you need me, give me a call. I'm there. And, uh, you know, maybe that might happen uh, down the road. I, you know, fingers crossed, but I have found, for example, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of overlap that I can just do in the creator own sphere. Um, I just did a short story uh, in the nightmare theater horror anthology, which is sort of horror riffs on film and television. And so I did power Rangers versus the walking dead. (laughs) Uh, You know, I don't, I don't have to ask permission anymore, which is great. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, my, my feeling has always been whether I'm lucky enough to have a publisher who sees the value of the concept immediately, like Aftershock did mm-hmm. with Skyrim, or if it's more like every other book I've ever done, which has always <laughs> been an uphill battle to get somebody to realize, oh, people might actually like this book. I, I'm not waiting for permission anymore. Um, and so I think that is ultimately the way to kind of get your success in the, in the industry. It's sort of, you go your own way and they'll find you. Um, and you know, I, I, uh, I've gotten pretty far by sticking by my guns and I, you know, so that's why I don't get, I don't get worried about setbacks too much. Um, I don't get worried about rejection. Um, you know, I say, you know, rejections is just another word for bullet dodged, uh, <laughs> you know, because if, if they don't like it in, you know, in, in the baby stage, they're not going to like it as an adult. Um, but I will say that I think I've had a really positive experience with Aftershock as far as, uh, Scouts Honor has been concerned. And even that was born out of a lot of rejection. Um, that was certainly not the first pitch that I sent to Aftershock. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, it took a while to find the thing that clicked with them. And that's cool. Like, you know, like not every project is going to work at the same place. Um, like mm-hmm. I said, you know, different publishers have different agendas and different uh, directives that they're shooting for. And so sometimes it's not always the best fit. But having that backing having that support having having somebody else say like just from the log line that looks cool um that's an interesting experience that i've never had before and it's been one that's been really gratifying and um i think i think you know any success that scouts honor has it's because of that initial confidence that uh lee and mike and christina and Steve and the rest of the Aftershock team have had about this project. So I, I will always be grateful, uh, not just for all the hard work they put in this project, but for just uh, believing in it uh, from the jump. I like that a lot. I guess my final question, and then maybe some yeah. wrap-up fun, but sure. what do you feel like, what has been the most challenging and the most rewarding thing about creating the world of Scout's Honor? 
Wow. Um, great question. I mean, you know, the the most rewarding thing I'll 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 start off with. Um there's been some really fun character beats to this. Um, you know, Kit kind of going from true believer to doubter to someone who's kind of in the middle. You know, the fact that she, you know, she's a very tough character, but inside she's kind of soft. Um, I, I, I've said the big difference between Kit and any other character I've written in the past is my characters usually have been sort of simmering in their trauma for a long time. And it's mm-hmm. really kind of affected who they are. And so we see these traumatized individuals then get thrown into a situation. Kit is very different. Kit, we're kind of watching her grapple with this in real time. Um, we see exactly what kind of knocks her off her feet. And then we have to see her kind of struggle to get back up immediately. Um, that's interesting. I th- th- in a lot of ways, she's the most hopeful character I've ever written, even if she's living in like a post-nuclear war, uh, you know, <laughs> scout compound. Mm-hmm. I also really like the, the the dynamics that she has with certain members of the cast. Um, you know, the scout master, for example, who, you know, He's he kind of he also threads that fine line between, you know, he's very intimidating and, you know, he's he obviously he's a true believer and he's survived a lot. You wouldn't be the scoutmaster if you weren't tough as nails. But at the same time, even though he doesn't know Kit's secret, he kind of has this paternal spin to every conversation he has with her, you know, much to the to the chagrin of the scoutmaster's son, uh, Des, who is Kit's best friend who also doesn't know Kit's secret and sort of um, seeing that dynamic unfold, you know, go going from a friendship to a rivalry to something a little more in the middle. That's been another really uh, gratifying thing to write and explore. I mean, Des in certain ways is like the Loki to Kit's Thor, you know, always a bridesmaid, never a bride. And yet he, has this genuine affection for his sworn rival um, and sort of seeing how that plays out has been particularly fun. And Des, Des has his own secrets. Um, you know, we talk about sort of this corrosiveness of secrets and how that's, you know, Kit just having to hide a crucial part of who she is in order to pursue her true calling is already a heavy burden for a kid. Um, Des has something similar. Um those things, those elements, the human element behind it uh, has been really rewarding. And I, I, I hope, you know, if, if we've done it right, that, you know, there will be people who see themselves in this that might not have thought to have seen themselves in a Boy Scout related book. The challenging thing, you know, um, the challenging thing has been making sure that, you know, we tell the story as compassionately as we can, you know, making sure that, you know, we kind of walk the tightrope with as much grace as we can. Um, you know, it's been making sure that we're able to fit, you know, a, a big king size story into, you know, fairly limited page real estate. I will say, you know, <laughs> this is a small thing, but it's an important thing. This is the first book that I've ever written that was told primarily in 20 page chunks versus 22. And boy, every time mm. I wrote a script, I was like my kingdom for another two pages. Um, <laughs> I, I, I say that with every script, but I say that I said that particularly in this one. 
yeah. um, because it's like, all right, how do I tell this story without killing Luca? <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, how do I, I, I could do this with all six panel pages, but then Luca would fly from Italy and have me murdered. Um, <laughs> you know, um, and, and, and I think also just, you know, sort of saying like, okay, like, how do you be flexible with your writing? You know, because yeah, I've been very used to in my previous books and it's because it served me well that it's sort of like, well, the buck stops with me. The buck only stops with me. And so that means I've got to sort of troubleshoot everything I can possibly troubleshoot. And I have to sort of have the final say on, you know, what's this book going to look like that can make me a little bit of a control freak. And so being able to be a little bit more fluid and say, no, wait a minute. Like you don't, you, you can't be this precious with your work and you have to give your collaborators room to kind of express the guidelines that you've given them, but in their own way. And I think Luke has done a really amazing job with that. Um, you know, he, he, He's, uh, if you haven't read his work, he's done uh, stuff like uh, James Bond or Lost Soldiers over at Image Comics. And he's got this really fun sense of drama. Um, you know, he, he focuses so much on Kit and Dez's moments of humanity, which I really like. But then, you know, the, sh the, the, the script shifts gears into action. And suddenly you're like, oh, that's why Kit has been, oh yeah, Kit has been trained in a survivalist cult most of her life yes she is not somebody you want to be facing in the wrong way in an alley um you know and the way that luca kind of quickly shifts gears visually in that regard is really cool um and colors matt miller um uh from his work on daredevil um he uh he has done a really cool job with the colors on this where he's sort of able to focus on this drama, but he's also, you know, he, he's the one constantly reminding us like, this is a nuclear wasteland that they're living in. And so, um, you know, the, 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 the beautiful land of Colorado is looking very different, uh, 300 <laughs> some odd years later. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and yeah. And, and Carlos Manguel, our, our, our letterer, um, our cover artist, Andy Clark and colorist Jose Villarubia, um, yeah, I've just been really um, fortunate to have a team as top shelf as I have and having Mike and really Christina Harrington deserves uh, so much credit. She's really kind of she championed the book uh, when it was pitched. She has really taken point on a lot of the editorial um, uh, decisions. Um, she's been a terrific editor to work with. And so having that team, it's uh Every book leaves you feeling a little nervous before it comes out. Um, but having a team like this, it makes you feel at least a little bit less nervous. I like that. I like that. All right. So the final and somewhat selfish question for me. Yeah. Like everyone else, I have binged everything on earth, like looking for good content in yeah. lockdown. So what have been some of your favorite things that you have watched, <laughs> yeah. read, interacted with in the last yeah. couple months? Um, let's see if it wasn't, I wouldn't have survived election week if it wasn't for watchdogs, Legion and Hades. Those, those have been very fun, uh, uh, bingeable stuff that I've been, I've been playing lately Been watching, you know, I've been watching a lot of new girl lately. It's just kind of like yep. a comfort, comfort item. Um, halt and catch fire. Love that show. Uh, a lot of horror movies lately. 
you know, I, I rewatched Invisible Man uh, recently, the new one. That was the last movie I saw before lockdown in, in a theater. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I feel like, um, and then, you know, just keeping up on my comics, I've been catching up on, on stuff. Um, uh, Ten of Swords over at Marvel has been really fun. Um, uh, just catching up on Dark Metal, uh, our, our, our Dark Knights uh, death metal. Um, that's been really cool. Um, I've been reading Scott Snyder's American Vampire. I, I had not, I, I had a bunch of the trades and had not read them. So I've been going through that and, you know, I mean, yes, it, it explains why he had a, has had a 10 year career writing Batman. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a very flexible genre, uh, or a very flexible concept that kind of lends itself to a lot of different genres. Um, yeah, I feel like that's the stuff I've been binging on lately. Um, besides just sort of, you know, anxiety about the state of the world, anxiety about like, I got a lot of, I've got, uh, something like 900 plus books that I have to pack. I think it's like 960 books that I have to pack and ship from my two bedroom apartment, uh, in the next few weeks. But yeah, I think, um, yeah, Watchdog, uh, Legion and, um, Hades, those are really the two games that I have, that's how I've been decompressing. Uh, from script writing the last uh, a couple weeks, and uh, I do not regret those purchases one bit. <laughs> That's that was Miles Morales for me this last week. That's uh, next on my list. Oh, it's it's too short, but it's so good. You'll love it. Okay, I'm excited. I like the I like the uh, original PS4 Spider-Man, so I, I'm I'm stoked to see. I, I, I everybody my Twitter feed has been saying, oh, it's amazing, it's amazing. I'm like, okay, I guess I'm back into it. So uh, yes, next week, once I finish this next script, that's my reward to myself. Perfect, good reward. Well, again, thank you so much. I love doing interviews with you. This is super fun. Looking forward, looking forward to Scout's Honor and every other project in thank the you so much. future. Really appreciate uh, you having me on the show. And yes, let's uh, let's do this again soon. Cool. All right. Thank you so much.